Well, hello, and welcome to Horror or Nah, Bong Joon-ho edition. Hey. Hey, who's that voice? I am Topher Prigen, as usual. That's me, your host of this little show. And with me today is special quarantine guest, Nicole Lee Hood. Hi. <laughs> Too much Kirby. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Kirby, guys. A lot, a lot, a lot. He is the cutest thing in the world. Love him. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, we are going to do a little Snowpiercer action. Probably Bong Joon-ho's most famous movie. Yeah. After Parasite now. But before before Parasite, this is how he broke into the world stage. A little for I mean, guess the host is really how he broke out of South Korea, but this was the one that really grabbed everybody because 85% of its dialogue is in English. Yeah. The rest being in Korean, a little French, a little Czech. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a train. Mm-hmm. It's a grab bag. <laughs> <laughs> a train with all the world's people. Yeah. So, yeah, we are going to do the basics here. You know how the show goes, but just for a quick rundown, in case you're new or in case you've forgotten or in case you're drunk, what we're going to do here is do a brief sort of just summary of the plot not really go too deep into it i don't really like to do that here because i don't think the plot matters unless guest and i agree that it is that's a little behind the scenes for you but yeah we'll talk about the plot a little bit but then we're really going to get into whether or not this action sci-fi thriller counts as a horror movie yeah i'm excited to talk about it yeah it was a fun watch mm-hmm. i've seen this movie several times see i saw it for the first time i guess right after it came out it would have been i remember watching it on a computer on a couch with my buddy joseph wilson Mm-hmm. future guest on the podcast once we get him figured out <laughs> but he and i watched just a sh- in grad school that's most of what we did was either if we weren't working on various like papers and shit we were watching a lot of movies just like on his laptop on his couch yeah and this is one that he and i had both heard of and we finally found a copy of it i won't say whether or not it was legal but we did watch it and I, he and I both just absolutely loved it. We ended up showing it to all of our friends, and this is how he and I were introduced to Bong Joon-ho. This was my first time watching Snowpiercer, being two days ago, and I was excited to watch it because the TV series is coming out soon on, like, May 17th. Yeah, and one of my favorite Broadway stars, Lena Hall, is in it, and so I'm super stoked to see her on the TV screen, right. along with many other amazing actors. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I am I was really excited to watch this film, and this is not a review podcast. This isn't... We're not on Maine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... I will say that I, I understand why this movie is so popular, and I understand why this really put him on the map. Yeah. Uh, it was a really good take on a post-apocalyptic story. Yeah. It's a cool universe. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like to see more. So just a quick bit of the boring shit. Well, interesting to me, boring to some, but fuck you, it's my show. So this was based on a French graphic novel series that ran for almost 30 years i want to say i think mm-hmm. it started in 82 the name of the original graphic novel is le trans plus neige which is of course just the Snowpiercer. Ooh, say that um, again le trans plus neige Ooh, just say that a couple times and i feel like i would be like a lullaby <laughs> uh, my french is not great these days i am not speaking it enough yeah so this was made by of course bong joon ho is the director and the screenwriter along with kelly masterson who wrote Sidney lumet's final movie before the devil knows you're dead one that my mother and i are not a fan of but mm. a lot of people loved it and i will fight you on the internet about why it's bad that was a czech co-production a lot of it was shot in the Czech Republic. Big names in this cast. A lot of big names in this cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Chris Evans. We have our favorite actor, Song Kang-ho. Which again, I know this isn't a review po- a movie podcast, but like, I love him. I love him so much. He's so he played a com- He again played a completely different character. He has so much range. We've done three movies and had three different characters. Yeah. Also, his uh, daughter from The Host was the daughter in this movie. Oh my God, it was. Mm-hmm. I, it was. <laughs> She's a really good actor. Yeah, totally. Uh, on top of that, we have Tilda Swinton, uh-huh. Jamie Bell, mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer, mm-hmm. John Hurt, Ed Harris, the woman who plays his daughter. Her name is Goa Sung, who played his daughter, also in The Host. Mm-hmm. Song Ho's daughter. Yeah, that's a whole lot of around and around and around and around. And then another great cinematographer, Hong Kyung-po. Yes. Again, this is not the review podcast. This isn't what we do here, but I just like to get the names out there. I don't like to just leave people not yeah. mentioned. I don't Absolutely. Know. A little bit of controversy around this film a bastard that we talk about a lot on this podcast 
in most of its forms. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Really tried to tank this movie. Weinstein's, one of his cutesy nicknames was uh, when he was still working and not pent up with coronavirus in jail where he belongs. <laughs> suffering, that is. With Harvey Scissorhands. So... Except when it comes to Tarantino, and actually, I probably I believe that Tarantino's movies are significantly cut. But basically, Weinstein loves to just chop, 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 chop. He wants mm. really tight runtimes, and he loves voiceovers and narrations, mm-hmm. which are two things that he wanted ha- to happen to this movie. He wanted a longer narration and like world building at the front, and a longer epilogue, and and, and an epilogue at all at the end. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to cut twenty minutes of the runtime. And I'm gonna be honest; I know this is a long movie. I could maybe cut five minutes. Yeah. Why don't we hop in and do just a quick bit of plot, just so people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Basically, a bunch of scientists got together to try and stop global warming, and they sent out these airplanes with a chemical to make the world cooler. Unfortunately, that caused a new snowball earth, another ice age. Uh, Mm -hmm. This happened in 2014. All of humanity that could make it on, either through buying tickets or getting, like, winning a lottery, essentially, were put on this large train called the Snowpiercer that tours around the world on one long track in a loop. So it's now 2031. We have all the passengers on the train. They are segregated by class, much like your ticket would get you. That's a through line here. We have the extravagant cars in the front with the elites. We have the sort of middle class in the middle. And we have the, what they call in the movie, freeloaders in the back. So we see the beginnings of a plot for revolution and Chris Evans, Curtis is the character's name, is trying to gauge when to start the revolution. Mm -hmm. There have been past ones. We find out John Hurt is there and kind of helping him along and trying to help him decide when to do things. And they throw, they start the revolution and then that's the rest of the movie. It's basically their fight to the front. Yeah. Along the way, we lose a lot of characters. People die. There's a lot of problem solving. There's mysteries abound. We pick up... uh, (laughs) The junkie father-daughter pair, mm-hmm. played by Song Kang-ho and Goa Sung. And they, Song Kang-ho plays the guy who basically built the security systems for the train. He's in the quarantine car, which is the jail car. Yeah. Where they've just got people who have committed crimes on ice. Basically, it's a, it's a big morgue, but you're kept in state, I guess. So spooky. It is spooky. Uh, could you imagine just being, I was thinking about it and I was like, could you imagine just being in that drawer? Yeah, I've got to imagine that they're like in suspended animation or something like that. That's what I always sort of t- took it as is like there was like cryogenics or something like that. I don't know. You know that you're not just like hanging out in the drawer. They're not like pulling you out to give you food. You're just sort of like in there. But then I would assume that there'd be a lot of stuff going. I don't know. I was watching that this time and I like that was a detail I hadn't noticed. Mm-hmm. But that's just I, I remember the first few times I watched it. I just sort of was like, yes, they're on ice. Mm-hmm. Right. So that they don't have to waste resources on them. Right. But I don't know. It would be spooky if you were just chilling in there. Just constantly. You would go insane. Completely. You can't even, like, turn over. Yeah. You All you could do is sleep. Gross. Yeah. That's that's horrifying in itself. It's a me. worse quarantine than we're currently in. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Almost like jail is bad. Weird. Weird. But yeah, so they fight their way <clears throat> through the car. Like I said, a lot of people die along the way. Eventually, they get to the front. Curtis meets Wilford, mm-hmm. the who's ed harris who is the like guy who built the train he's obsessed with trains he probably fucks the train and i was like tom hanks i want off this polar express (laughs) sos this is not what i signed up for no not a fan of the polar express either the polar express is definitely a horror movie also how's tom visuals alone how's tom hanks doing um i don't know a friend of the podcast nadia if you might remember her from the annihilation episode she built a website called how's tom hanks doing let's check it According to this website, he's not great. Really? Yeah. (gasps) (laughs) He's hit a rough patch, but everything considered, it's looking okay for the old boy. Anyway, if you want to go find out how Tom Hanks is doing at any point in time. Hasn't he had coronavirus for over two weeks now? IDK. Oh, God. It's been a minute. Please don't take him. Yeah. Anyway, you can go to the website, istomhanksok.com, built by Ben Hoffman and Nadia. Anyway, that's the aside. (laughs) Just so, gotta, you know, yeah. check on him. Fair enough. Um, so Wilford offers Curtis the chance to run the train. Curtis finds out that there's kids acting as mechanical parts for the train. Including Octavia Spencer's son. son. Yes. Who we're and, looking for through a lot of right, this movie. And Andrew's son. Yes. And at that point, he's like, well, fuck this. Beats the shit out of Wilford. And he and Goa Sung blow the wall off the train. And... It crashes, and the last shot is Goasung and Octavia Spencer's little child, Timmy, mm-hmm. walking off into the Arctic. Yeah. 
and seeing a polar bear. Mm-hmm. So that's just a really quick rundown of the plot. There are obviously a number of other details, but we will just try and mention the ones that are important. This is a great movie. I really enjoy this movie. I mm-hmm. think it's one, like you said, a great post-apocalyptic film. And it's such a great allegory for class, right? Yes, which like, is one of the things we love Bong Joon-ho for. He, he explains that really well through his art. And mm-hmm. it's, I think, through a train, it, it it's really effective. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, it, the more money you have, the more likely you are to survive in the yeah. ap- during the apocalypse. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. And this is just it, another example. Also, of currently that. seeing that going on. So this is, you know, again, we're not yeah. trying to we're not trying to match the uh, the vibe of what's happening, but we are accidentally doing it because art imitates life mm-hmm. or whatever. So there's a lot to say about this movie, and I think first off, yeah, like I said, I think it's a great movie. That one, it's a great post-apocalyptic movie. Two, it's a great class allegory. Three, it's just really well done in the world building, mm-hmm. which we talked about a bit. I was talking about the brutality of his films and i kind of want to dive into that real quick yeah yeah um i guess up top we've kind of been doing this lately i'm still trying to figure out a proper format like a consistent format for the show but i want to talk about a little bit whether or not going into this conversation we think this is a horror movie because as i said it's listed as sci-fi action thriller yada 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 and it's very clearly that but is there an argument for it being a horror movie right I'm still on the fence. I kind of wanted to come to a decision or closer to a decision by the end of our discussion. Mm -hmm. But up top, I will say I will say that I don't really see many differences, not in um, a specific sense, but in a broader sense than for like a film like 28 Days Later. Right. And that's in the horror genre yeah yeah. so i'm kind of using a couple of different movies in my head and i know you are too to kind of compare this to because about maybe a month or two months ago now we did an episode a horror not episode on 10 cloverfield lane and that one that one was a little wishy-washy too it could or could not be a horror film but that's very similar to this one it's you know it's sort of like the post-apocalyptic thriller-ish film action right. there's a lot going on so i'm kind of comparing it to a lot of those and just trying to figure out under all of the definitions that this section of the podcast has come up with right. could this fit within one of those because no there aren't any like cgi monsters or puppet work we right. know that for sure right so we can rule that out that would not that does not fit this movie yeah there's no practical effects in that in that vein yeah i mean you could argue that Wilford is the villain, but he's not he's not very villainous. Like, yes, he's using children to like make the train continue and obviously he's classist and like all well, and of- a bit genocidal. I mean he kills seventy four percent of the back Yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. I can't ignore that. I don't know. I feel like maybe we I feel like we didn't get enough time with him. He's not he in is, it a lot. No, he's not. Because he because they reach him and that's it. Right. We get probably 15 minutes with him, maybe 20. And I feel like in a traditional horror film sense, you get a through line of the villain. Yeah, and I'd say that there probably is one in that he's built up as this mythic figure. Yeah, and that's you, true. And he gets stripped away the closer and closer you get to the front. Yeah, that's well, a good point. Well, I guess he gets built up, built up, built up, and then stripped away. I think that's yeah. what the thing is but we we were dealing with the myth not the man until we get to the man so it's like a wizard of oz thing yeah was, like, that just popped powerful in my head too. yeah and then we don't have any like we don't have any jump scares we have a lot of deaths but we don't have like right b- because for some people the shallow aspects of horror is what defines the genre oh, for absolutely. them I've got so that's what I've about that, that that's the lens that i'm looking at right it and and that would rule it out right, right. there are no shallow horror effects in this film whatsoever mm-hmm. so for if that's your definition i don't think that it would be but going back to something like 28 days later or I Am Legend, which is is also a gray area. The novel is considered horror, yeah. But the film remake with with Will Smith is yes. kind of a gray area. Some people call it a thriller. Yeah, I think that that's more of a horror film because of it actually has accidental jump scares, and I actually get pretty freaked out when I watch that film. Right. But then there's the other section of is this horror or not? <laughs> what gut feeling does it give you? This movie doesn't freak me out. 
yes, if I put myself in that position mentally, it's not a great position to be in. And of course, of course, I you you have to think of it like which class would I be in? Yeah, I'd be the I'd be the probably the one like with the ch- with a child that gets taken like yeah. just just naturally. So that's a horrifying thing to think of. But I'm but that makes me lean more towards the film as horrifying, but not horror. Right. So I was sort of thinking about in a, a broader spectrum because I was thinking about the world building. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we have talked about in the past two episodes is the brutality of Bong Joon-ho's worlds. Mm-hmm. He builds these worlds and uses the practical effects inside the movie to give you a sense of, like, like we've talked about, the gore. You feel it. Mm-hmm. Now, you, that's not consistent throughout this film. I'm thinking particularly of uh, the the big fight at the Yekaterina Bridge. Yeah. So when they have that big fight in the dark and everything, you don't feel it as much, but you get these moments of like real terror. Mm-hmm. So that's where the gore is traded for the terror. But the gore in this film, so I'm thinking of Andrew losing his arm. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the body horror of the elders in the tail section. Mm-hmm. So we can mention that really quick. We can say, okay, so when we get to the front of the train, we find out that the elders in the beginning of the, who became basically the people who became the leaders of the de facto leaders of the tail section passengers. In the beginning, it was anarchy. They were just shut in there, no food, no water, no means of survival. And they were going to starve. And then they're so given they bugs. Before that, they <laughs> are eating each other. And so the leaders become leaders by chopping off their own limbs. That's and true. Them. There's that whole monologue. Yes. That a Chris very, Evans, very good monologue. Yeah, that Chris Evans gives us. And it's deliciously delivered. Yes. He's incredible. Um, it's so nice to see him do... So again, we're not in the review podcast. I know that, but I just really want to... It's going to come through, though. It's a good film. Come on. Yeah. He um, really just... And this is, this is a better role for him. He gets to do the Captain America thing, but then he also you also find out that he's kind of horrifying as a person. Like you, you learn what the horror is of the world through him. That's true. That's true. He he's tried kind to of... eat a baby mm-hmm. and then raised that baby. And I like the idea that we don't know if Edgar knows that Chris Evans killed his mom. Yeah, that just slides right by. I also, this is a complete other aside but i love that the last cigarette in existence he takes one drag and just lets it go because he gets caught up in it and so the last cigarette in existence just burns out <laughs> it's not smoked <laughs> the i don't know what i love that's it's i've heard that pointed out in other things i've heard people talk about in snowpiercer it's just one of those details in the movie that's so 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 good mm-hmm. it's this weird dark humor moment of this thing that should be savored and it just burns away yeah in, in the in the context of everything else that he's talking about and he's it's just like an arctic journal too he uses cigarettes a lot yeah as like a yeah. um i mean everyone everyone does it's such a huge thing but like this is the second movie in a row that it's been like a very big moment for cigarettes yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're having a moment right now i guess yeah i just want to get back to the brutality so yeah i'm thinking about all these different pieces mm-hmm. that we can talk about the bugs the fact that they're being fed roaches yeah, that was pretty that else. was pretty gross. So the things that could push it in the direction of a horror movie are not only is it apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic, but it focuses on the nitty-gritty of what that looks like. We're talking about the authoritarian control that it requires to keep something like this going. Mm-hmm. Or so su- the supposedly requires to keep something like this going and the world they've established. We're talking about which which includes, yes, the uh, we find out that Wilford and Gilliam have been staging revolutions. They're not naturally born, but rather guided. Yeah. So they use those to one, give empty hope to the tail passengers that they can one day rise up, and two, to control the population because that's the most densely populated area. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else we see is pretty sparse, like entire cars with like three people in them, five people in them, you know, and there's hundreds in the back cars. Yeah. So I think it's, I think there's a lot of these sort of, you, you could call it almost, I mean, if, let's see, if Cabin in the Woods is horror, it's hard to do because Cabin in the Woods has a horror story inside of it. But when we talk about the meta narrative, right? That there is, there are these great gods that they have to sacrifice to. Right. Yeah. In that movie. Sorry for the spoilers for Cabin in the Woods, but whatever. It's been out forever. <laughs> I will never apologize for that. Fuck off. <laughs> so the broader, the, the existential horror, I guess, of it, like the, the, the big world horror of it 
comes from this sort of manipulation of events. And I'm, I'm not going to just straight up and down call that horror, but I find it horrifying and I find it terror inducing in a much different way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. Because where I'm having trouble finding a definitive definition is that the way that I define horror is I agree with Matt who said Mm -hmm. that it's something that sticks with you whether that's you have a nightmare or you think about it at 3 a.m. or you know like what or it's just it's something that stays with you yeah and yet you keep coming back for more like that's that's the addiction right sure yeah in this film it it didn't really like it didn't stick with me in that way even though even though I enjoyed it and it was great. So I like my gut reaction is like, no, that's not horror. But then I think about films again, like 28 Days Later, and I'm like, that one didn't necessarily either, but I wouldn't really question it as a horror film. No, so I'm trying to figure out the difference between between this and that. I mean, yeah, there were clearer monsters in 28 Days Later, yeah. like where people were literally turning into zombies yes and the human monsters and all of that yeah yeah and this one's a little bit more and this one's a little bit more discreet right so that's where that's that's honestly just where i'm at right now with this film yeah and i think i i think what i'm landing on is that the minutiae matters Mm -hmm. it can't just be the horror of the world that makes it a horror movie yeah 28 days later yeah it's a horrifying world and yeah it's 60 percent family drama and road movie but they're zombies <laughs> and they are out for blood and mm-hmm. there is even though we're a little cool on it the the second act of that film with chris eccleston mm-hmm. who is the human monster and his crew of soldiers who are human monsters i think that there's no ignoring that i guess i'm trying you to have to have i think you have to have the minutiae i think you have to have those little tiny playing pieces it can't just be yeah. that the world is horrifying it's gotta be because yes, it, what the point of this is essentially that class structure is horrifying, and yeah, and doomed to fail. Yeah, so I mean, I think what I I agree with that fully. So I mean, I think I think where I'm I think where I'm at here is that this is the closest film that we've covered that isn't classified as horror that mm-hmm. could be, but I don't think it quite is. I think it's very close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's why I wanted to bring it in, because I've been thinking about this for a long time. So, I, so when I saw it the first time, I called it a horror movie, a horror action mm-hmm. flick. And I, I, I'm, I'm cooling on that definition, I, I think, the, or that categorization. I think it's not. I think it's so close. I think it needs, really like, pushing. literally, yeah. if we had one more scene where maybe something, I don't know, may, one more plot point. Yeah, it, it doesn't need it. more plot points, but yeah. No, but but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's a like, fairly tight movie. I'm not saying that, but yeah, it's it's one more aspect, one more like. Yeah, because you have we... all these things. You have the stalking Russian hitman yeah. enforcer guy who kills everyone and does a lot of point blank murder and shit like that. But I think it's more diehard than it is mm-hmm. 28 Days Later. Yeah, which it's a very tight contained long section right condemnation of class is also there but a lot of brutal or a lot of brutality a lot of death a lot of really hard hitting kills and things like that Mm -hmm. but it doesn't doesn't cross the line no it so almost does because the whole because with post-apocalyptic with post (laughs) with post-apocalyptic movies yeah you are always presented with a question and that question is would it have been better if I had just died yeah, or was it better that I survived and I have to live through this shit? Absolutely. You know what I mean? So like this definitely asks that question of, and you know, all of the characters are thinking this, especially the ones in the back of the train. Would it have been fucking better if I had just died instead of having to see what I've seen? I think that's entirely right. And I think it, I think that goes across genres so i'm not even saying that i'm i'm not even adding that to my argument i'm just saying that that is across any movie that is post-apocalyptic yeah i mean the post-apocalyptic ones are so tough i think that's where what we're getting at is that because the situation is always going to be horrifying that's like it's synonymous with post-apocalyptic is horrifying right 
because I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, we've got, I'm just going to, I'm trying to think of a bunch of post-apocalyptic films that do definitely land in horror and some that are in the borderline. So we talked about 10 Cloverfield Lane. We talked about 28 Days Later. And I Am Legend. And yeah, we've talked a good, about, a good bit about I Am Legend without having ever actually covered it on this podcast. But I'm thinking of what we've covered on here too. We could also bring in The Road would be a good one. Mm-hmm. Cormac McCarthy and then um, uh, Viggo Mortensen was in the film adaptation of it a few years back i'm thinking of like i guess well cabin in the woods isn't post-apocalyptic because it takes place just prior to the apocalypse it's the very last thing before the apocalypse yeah i mean any zombie movie is either apocalypse present or apocalyptic yeah right Mm -hmm. it's just a lot there's a lot of these that just really really squarely uh zombie i guess well like zombie land is i guess during but post well it's 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 kind of fascinating because i think that anything that is i think if this movie was during the apocalypse Mm -hmm. it would be horror no question asked yeah for watching the i guess just prior to boarding the train and then the it's basically focused in the tail section well think about how many people probably got brutally murdered when they were trying like it's life or death here so i think for i i think no questions asked if this film took place during the apocalypse when they were um trying to reverse the global warming yeah um i think no questions asked it would have been considered horror but i think and i think it almost is when it's post-apocalyptic yeah and it's well, it's nice to know at least. I mean, we're, we're at least sorting this out that post-apocalyptic does not necessarily equal horror. But during probably does because it's yeah. either zombies or mm-hmm. it's, you know, just, just naturally in the film universe. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's either zombies or there is something catastrophic that happened that has set it off. And that's horrifying in itself yeah. and probably would. I, I'm not going to put a blanket statement on it, but probably would equal horror film. Is Waterworld a horror movie? Waterworld? What is that? You've never heard of Waterworld? No, what is that? Holy shit. Big, one of the biggest box office bombs in history. Kevin Costner, like it was his passion project. It's like 96, I want to say. He sunk all of this money, just millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars into this project. Is it really that bad? It's so bad. Should we present it to our bad movie club? We absolutely should. Great. Yeah. Let's watch it. We have a bad movie club with a few former guests of the podcast, or previous guests of the podcast, who are all close friends of ours, and we... Zoom and watch bad movies. Speaking of which, we watched Dungeons and Dragons from the year 2000 last night, which cost $5 million more to make than this movie. Guys, what? <laughs> A decade prior. It's fascinating. It's also hard to see how they spent $40 million in this movie. It looks gorgeous, but it had to have like all gone to the exterior effects budget. Yeah, because not much of it so. went to the release because it got a very, very tiny release thanks to, again, the bastard. Weinstein. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's interesting. There has been a lot of debate about the genre of this. Uh, Just as a quick aside, I was reading through some of the reviews of this and trying to find some that weren't like sandbagged clear Weinstein fucking around and trying to to fuck over Bong Joon-ho for refusing to cut down his movie. Mm -hmm. Even though it's shorter than all of Tarantino's. Yeah. This is not an anti-Tarantino podcast. He's fine. I like him. I like a lot of his movies a lot. I like some of his movies not that much. It's fine. But it's a very anti-Weinstein podcast. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. That's the he's correct a, opinion. He's the monster of all monsters. I mean, Jesus. He's definitely up there. So one of the funny reviews of this movie that was also talking about the genre that I found was Jared Kendall from The Red Shtick. And he said, the science of the film is actually so bad it doesn't qualify as sci-fi, but merely fantasy. The science is awful and the big reveal is ludicrous. I disagree strongly with critics who've come out in support. Even if Snowpiercer serves admirably as something different, I don't think we should ignore such glaring defects simply because the film is a generic Hollywood tripe. Some people, some people just stick their heads up their asses and they just (laughs) never come out. (laughs) Just got stuck. Oof. Oh man! Like, I that review is just trash. Yeah, if you there's are, anything I you can say, this movie asked, is for sure fucking sci-fi. Well, you are also asked to suspend your disbelief in most movies, all movies. I will argue, all movies. Yeah, romantic comedies. Uh huh. Am sure. I supposed to believe that any of those men aren't serial killers? I mean, I've been watching a lot of Sex in the City, and am I supposed to believe that Sarah Jessica Parker can afford? a apartment by herself that is very spacious that is rent controlled somehow on 73rd and 3rd 73rd 3rd as a writer yeah let me tell me how much i make as a writer y'all and just as a column like yeah <laughs> what like 
everything asks you to suspend your disbelief. So mm-hmm. calm down if the science isn't up to par for yeah. you. Calm down. <laughs> Read a book, nerd. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking about other things that I would qualify in the same genre. Recently, in the past few months, I was reading an author who I've been meaning to read forever, and I finally got around to it, N.K. Jemisin. Mm-hmm. Local New York writer. She's an incredible author. She's won 6,000 fucking Hugos. Mm-hmm. Deserved all of them, I will also say. But I was reading her Stone Sky trilogy. It starts off with The Fifth Gate, yada, yada. It's a it's a fantastic book. Get your hands on it. Go to your local... Well, download the app from your local library, put in your library card and pen, and then get that book. Oh, I need to do that. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So her story, and I'm, I'm sorry that you haven't read this because I'm going to have to go off on my own for a little bit, but I think it's an apt comparison. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Deuces, Nicole. So the book is set you you learn pretty quickly that the story is set in a post-apocalyptic world so post-apocalyptic that it's rebuilt but also the apocalypse is still kind of going on like the world is fucked a little bit mm-hmm. and it plays with the science of that and like it, it plays on sort of she talked to a bunch of like uh, like seismologists and things like that and like what would it be like if the world actually was a pangea again okay and what that would cause and apparently it's horrifying uh and the world itself is horrifying you learn all these things through the plots of the three books that it's even more horrifying than it seemed and other things happen. They cause a new apocalypse, yada, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the best comparison. And I would say that that book series, while as horrifying as it is in parts, is not a horror series. Right. And like I said, eventually I want to I move away from just talking about movies on this podcast and move into books and art and other, other, other art forms in mm-hmm. general, visual art, etc. So I think what's really holding this back is, yeah, the minutiae. Is mm-hmm. where the focus is. The focus isn't on the horror. It could be, but it's not. Yeah. I think even it's not even about adding in different plot lines. It's about reinterpreting the pot, plot line, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because this plot line is already reinterpreted from the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was reading up on it. I, I want to get my hands on copies of it, but there wasn't even an English translation of it until a year or two ago, mm-hmm. I want to say. It was not. It was it was very recently, actually. I can just pull it up real quick. So the the graphic novel serialization and all that that this was based on is called Le Transpoisonage and it was yeah started in 82 and the most recent volume the fourth volume was published five years ago mm-hmm. 2015 it's considered the conclusion to the series we'll see comics always come back and go away and yada 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 so the first English translation wasn't released until 2014 and they have not all I don't think they've all been translated into English yet hmm. so I would love to read it but I haven't yet but I was reading through sort of the four the, the plot points of it, the four yeah. ones. And they're doing a, they think they did a prequel as well or something like that that had two parts or something, but it's much longer. And obviously it's going to be because it's serialized and movies are only two hours and serials can be however fucking long they need to be. Yeah. That's why I tend to prefer like prestige television to film a lot of times. Yeah. Particularly for adaptation. Uh, not the movie adaptation, but you know. So I think I would be interested to read the books because I think that they sound a little more in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the original was, but it seems like the sequels went more that way. That they get really get into the nitty grittiness of it. But I'm trying to think of like how you shift the focus here to make it more horror. For Snowpiercer? Yeah. I think you would have to make the villain clearer. I think that, yeah, you build him up the closer you get to him. And there is this kind of like stripping away as if it's mm-hmm. like Wizard of Oz or something. Yeah. But Wizard of Oz isn't a horror film. No. I think you need to have cut a- not Well, maybe not cutaways, but you need... I don't know. Do you need to I, feel his sinisterness more? I think you do. Because you don't feel his influence until the reveal happens. I think that's what it is. is that he's it. All it is is brainwashing up to that point that great Allison Pill scene by the way yes yes full-on psychotic Allison Pill and then you've got Tilda Swinton who's a bit brainwashed you see all the people doing the hand motions of like what they would have like what we see the kids doing it's almost like I don't know and this movie in a way the way that some of the character work has been done comes off a little bit David Lynch to me. Like the the yeah. the lady who measures literally everything. Just like we get why she's measuring the child. Yes, because she measures she, the block she measures of the block of um, industrial Cronel. waste. Yeah. yeah. So that the characterization and of Tilda Swinton is very David Lynch as well. And like oh, for sure. So I also argue that a lot of David Lynch's stuff can live in the horror 
genre that is soon to come. Uh, My sister eventually is going to come on the podcast and we're going to talk some serious Twin Peaks. But I think you have to go one way. You have to have some sort of, because something that all horror films have in common is there is some sort of undercurrent. Whether there is like a feeling of dread Mm -hmm. or there's like a feeling of, you know, what that sort of like adrenaline that you get of like what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next. And I'm not saying that you don't get this with this film, but it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't hit, it hits different. Um, (laughs) But I think that there just needs to be like one more element. Yeah. And maybe we're circling on that a bit. And I'm I'm trying not to just keep this conversation going in circles, but it is a conversation. Well, I'm trying to think of circling towards the center, hopefully. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to think of specifics like yeah, like exactly. if i were if i were to you know suggest something i'm not suggesting we throw in zombies here because again like i said in our 28 days later podcast i was like i didn't necessarily need the second yeah, half of that movie right, i thought right, it right, fell right. apart so i'm not saying that and i'm not saying add in more like more sci-fi i'm not like i think what i'm saying is i needed to feel a little bit more afraid for these people's lives I think that's right. I think I mean, the I, stakes needed to be raised for it to be a horror film, not for yeah. it to be a good film, but for no, it to be a horror film. it's a fantastic film as it stands, but it, 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 I think you're right. Like It's one of those movies where you find the horror when you pull back the curtain, but I don't know that that's enough to make it one. You know what I mean? Yeah. But just because the world is horror doesn't mean that the film is horror. Yeah. And I, but I think that we talked about that with another movie, and I'm trying to remember what it was. But yeah, I think it's definitely one of those movies that when you pull back the curtain, the horror is there. The children working as train parts, the yeah. brainwashing, the feeding of roaches to human beings. And like, I'm not opposed to eating bugs. I've eaten bugs. They're delicious. Roaches they are fine. But there is a certain amount of like... Well, it's the humanity of it. It's that right, they're, that they're eating fucking and sushi and, yeah. and all this stuff, and they're making them eat pulverized roaches yeah like it, it it's the humanity and telling them of it to thank all. them for it and all yeah. yeah yeah it's i think probably i mean a lot of people made this comparison and then so i don't want to just be another one but the hunger games is a is a solid comparison this here. did give me some hunger games vibes i'm not gonna lie yeah i, th- I think that's <sighs> the characters again gave me some hunger games yeah vibes and actually hunger games has more horror in it yeah. than this does Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a naysayer on those movies. I think they're fun. Yeah. I definitely cried during the second one because I spent a lot of time living in Eastern Kentucky and District 12 was Eastern, Eastern Kentucky. And when they firebomb it, I straight up just fucking cried. Mm-hmm. They just broke my heart to watch that happen. But they definitely in those movies included more horror. Yeah. And there's four of them and I get that. And the third one's more of a war film than anything. But the first two, I think, really, really get at what it, their predator the first two are basically Predator with the world that you see outside, if that yeah. makes sense. This one doesn't have that. This one has, there's this game I used to play that I think I'm sure a lot of us did. It was an arcade game called Final Fight. Hmm. It's basically, it's in the same universe as the Street Fighter universe. And you just go through, you walk through. It's one of those go right and punch things games. Got right? it. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Like Teenage Mutant Turtles did that. X-Men did that. Like all these other, all these varieties of arcade games where you go right and you punch things. Yeah. That's what this movie is. Yeah. And which I love it for. That's an awesome stylizing choice. And that's what it felt like to me. I remember that's what Joe and I, uh, when we first watched this, talked about that. Yeah. That this was the coolest version of a video game movie where it was an arcade game. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. So I think. I think this movie poses the question that we can ask on this leg of the podcast from here on out. Yeah. Is it a horror film if you have to look for the horror? If you have to pull the curtain back? Or is it horror if it just makes you feel that certain thing? Jesus. I think that's what we're trying to get at, you know? I That's I, yeah. I'm, I I'm not I asking us to answer for you. No, I'm not I asking us to answer that, that right now. You're throwing me a curve, but, but I, I want to try and at least take a swing at it. Sure. <laughs> I think where it gets sticky there, right? Like it's already mm-hmm. a sticky question, so I, I think it, it's sticky no matter what you do. But you find finding the horror I think can be really interesting. That's why I wanted to start this podcast in a lot of ways. Yeah. Was because I there are so many movies that I would qualify as being in the horror genre and a lot of movies i would disqualify from being in the horror genre because when even though the horror is right up front with some of them i don't really think they are i don't think that they land as a horror movie mm-hmm. 
whether it's through shtick or if it's through the focus or something like that. Like when we talk about how we talk about focus and like what the story is and all that, like I've, I've mentioned to you off mic a number of times, this, this horrific movie called Thanks Killing. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I hated every second of it. You know, we, we people are like, Oh, I love watching bad movies. They're fun. I'm like, yeah, except when they're made to be bad. And a lot of times they're just trash when that's the case. Yeah. And this is, and Thanks Killing is a straightforward slasher movie with a little bit of a lot, a bit of culturally appropriative racist nonsense against American Native uh, First Nations. Got it. Curses and all that shit, right? I mean, the title doesn't give me a lot of comfort. Right. <laughs> and I love a good B-movie. I love Trolls too. Right. As does past and future guest Primrock. Yeah, uh, but Trolls 2 is probably not racist. I'm sure it is. But You think it is? I don't know. I, I'm, I not gonna, I'm not going to make, I'm yeah. not going to stake that claim. I'm just saying it was made in the 80s. I'm, I'm sure that there's something in there. But That's true. There's probably at least one problematic <laughs> line. You really can't get out. But the point is that one. that movie is a bad B movie, which makes right. it a lot of fun. Thanks Killing is a trash B movie. That's for a different podcast, but I just want to get that out there. Don't watch Thanks Killing. It sucks. Here's the breakdown of it, is that it is a straightforward slasher movie with a ancient curse involved you write that down as a premise you sell that as an elevator pitch that's a fucking horror movie i could write a thousand of those right the fuck now wait you said trolls 2 that's that like pixar movie troll 2 which is a movie from 1980 something that there's a kid who becomes haunted by goblins and they go to this town called nilgob there's no so trolls there's, in so troll wait. 2 so there's a Troll 2, and then there is a Trolls 2? Yeah, and they take place like 40 years apart, 35 years apart. Wow, I had no idea. And not in the same universe. I'm pretty sure that DreamWorks did not decide to take the two Troll movies and turn them into the little candy trolls. And throw on Justin Timberlake. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure Josh Gad's in there somewhere. Sorry, I interrupted man. you. I just had to clarify. <laughs> yes, not the not the recent DreamWorks movies, but the B-horror movies from 30-some years ago. Got it. So I take the Thanksgiving pitch and I sell it to anybody. I'm like, okay, it's funny, but it's a slasher movie where the turkey is the killer because of some ancient curse. Mm-hmm. Fine. Okay. That's a horror movie on its face, but it stops being one when I'm watching it because not only am I not horrified, so I don't have the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. The world's not horrifying. It's just stupid. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like scary movie almost. Like I wouldn't say scary movie is a horror movie. It's a parody right. of the genre. I think it falls into that. Yeah. If that makes sense. And so I'm trying to find, I, I, that, was a, that was a long garden path to get back to. I'm trying to understand what the difference is between a movie that's just straight up horror on its face but actually isn't horror, like Thanksgiving, yeah. and a movie that's not horror on its face but actually is horror to me, like Ex Machina. Right. Not that those two films should be, ever be compared in any other way, but I'm Whoa. just trying to, the first two that came to mind. Because like, I'm trying to find one that's like, a clear, not a horror movie, but is sold as one. And one that's not sold as a horror movie, but clearly is one. Right. Because um, pulling back the curtain is gothic horror, right? It's tilting things to the left by a degree and seeing how fucked up they look, right? For sure, for sure. And that's a little bit pulling back the curtain or having to look under the curtain or see the, who the man is behind the curtain or something like that, right? I think the mere fact of having to go looking for it doesn't make it not horror. Right, I guess. Because it's there. It's, if it's done well, I should say, it's, it's always going to unsettle you. And you need to find out why it unsettles you. And that's when you realize it's in the genre. Does yeah. that make sense? Okay, then my new question is, is it a horror film if you're not inspired to look for it? If it might be there, but let's say someone watched Snowpiercer mm-hmm. and they were just like, well, didn't feel it. But they weren't inspired to think about pulling that curtain back and being like, oh, well, how would I feel if I were in that situation? Or, oh, I guess that is actually pretty brutal to those people who are in the back. Like, it's not overtly there. And if you're not inspired to look for it, you're not going to find it. Maybe that's right. And I don't know. I I, And that's personal. That's completely on a person-to-person basis. And I don't... And that I mean, that's why this podcast is going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Right? I agree. And that's why we have different... We try to have different guests from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different experiences is because they've all experienced horror in a different way, naturally. So, um, 
it's tough. And so, yeah, I think I think there's a lot more. Like I guess this is going to keep going as long as I have time and resources to dedicate to it. Yeah. Because I don't think it ends quickly. But I don't know. We'll keep working on it. The being not being inspired is interesting because, I mean, part of that comes down to just competent filmmaking, right? But the other part comes down to being an inquisitive watcher. Yeah, exactly. Watcher. And that's and that's think, why I think that it's a question that cannot easily be answered. Yeah, it's tough. Um <laughs> You're asking yeah. good questions and I'm not sure how to answer all of them, but I think that that's just well, more I work think for the project. No, I think, I think that's completely okay. I mean, I'm just asking them to kind of jog brains and just kind of try to see, see things differently. Like I don't have yeah. a clear answer to that either. I, I'm just, you know, kind of spitballing here, trying to, f- trying to figure out where this exactly falls, because yeah. I want to say for me at this point in time, I think it is so close but it needs something for me yeah. to say that it is. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, that's why we talk about the borderline, right? It is yeah. in that weird, not quite, but maybe area. Yeah. And I'm going to, I mean, we'll, we can go ahead and make the call that I, I right now, I just, I, it's not, it's not a horror movie. It's a great movie with some different inspiration from other post-apocalyptic horrors, but it's not 100% there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would, I would have to agree with that. Now, bringing this in for a landing. Yeah. Quick vibe check. Bong Joon-ho. How are we feeling still? I still love him. So good. I have nothing nothing bad to say. Song Kang-ho? Love. More and more every day. He's incredible. They both. <laughs> what a good team. We've seen yeah. all of the movies that we've seen have involved, or this month is I guess what I should yeah. say. All of the ones that we've covered this month have involved those two and they've been knockouts. Yeah. So clearly they're a very good team. It was um, cool reading on what a lot of the actors who... You know, a lot of these American, British actors who were in this movie, what they thought of working with Bong Joon-ho. Because mm-hmm. this is one of the ones I was actually able to find people talking about him. Yeah. And fuck, do they love him. And man, do they have respect for him. That's great. Ed Harris is out here. Ed Harris has had the longest acting career and a good one. Mm-hmm. He has, he's one of those character actors who's just always been fucking incredible and stuff. Yeah. That's really great that... He was that... saying they all had like a title of respect for him. They just called him Director Bong, Director Bong, Director Bong. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think it's re- I think it's really great that they're having good experiences with him because that yeah. just kind of makes me feel a little bit more confident in more, him. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because I mean, I'm really sick of people continuing to get work who then you hear like, oh, well, I, like like there's nothing more disappointing than seeing something that you love, and then hearing from whether it's insider information or mm-hmm. whatever that like they're a shitty person or that they have you know. Yes. <laughs> too many Abused directors the list is power long. or you know anything I mean, like that a portion of the rosemary's baby episode talking about it yeah and so it's 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 incredibly refreshing to so far here right that he's also just like a joy to work with mm-hmm. you know yeah and so it's really just nice to like have this nice feedback <laughs> yeah that everybody who worked with him loved him and that he's not this like terrifying dictator abuser on set yeah i do have one tiny bone to pick but i something inside me really tells me that this was harvey weinstein's doing Mm -hmm. is how token octavia spencer's role feels in this yeah i'm just not sure where that came from Mm -hmm. i mean i i i want to say that it wasn't bong joon ho's doing but i you know the we couldn't find anything any material on that yeah i've been looking for things and i just can't i can't find out where it came from i mean i know she was cast in 2012 and she was put in the project as a in the role of a passenger on the train who joins the revolt in order to save her son i just know and i don't know if it came from the writing if it came from the direction if it came yeah. from the production side it's it's so hard to tell with some of these choices being made i just ha- i i mean the diversity in this film is a little bit lacking in in that we our main like group of people are white men. Yeah, I mean we have Song Kang Ho and Goa Song. Yeah, and I'm not discounting have, that. And but, who make it to the end and all of that. But, but the I, only other sure there. the only other like POC we have is Octavia Spencer and her yeah. son, and it feels a little bit token because and and on the nose because literally when they're screaming at them for food. Of course, one of the lines Octavia Spencer is, is screaming, "I want some chicken." Yeah, and it just didn't. It it, it left a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. because that kind of was all. I mean, yes, she has a son, but that's all the characterization of her we got. That's about it. Yeah, 
and that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. but i i don't know who was behind that and i i, I want to so i can discredit the, <laughs> the right person but yeah. i don't know if we had gotten more about her if it had felt like she was hired to do anything else other than be black in yeah, this I film you. i would have appreciated it more it just kind of felt icky to me and i know that yeah. it happens in so many films but what else can you do but call it out I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to stop if it doesn't get the light shone on it all the time. Yeah. We've we've talked about this. Call it out when you see it. I mean, I even said I, I would have preferred to see her as the as the, the lady that was measuring everything and shooting the gun. Right. I thought I thought she could have done like some hilarious like improv shit right there. Right. Like she, just because she's so naturally funny. You know, like yeah. like I've seen her in so many movies and I was so stoked. Like when when we pulled this up and she was on when she was on the title card, I was like, oh, shit, she's in this. I love her just because she's so she always adds such a fun spark to whatever she plays. Yeah. And her line delivery is like always spot on for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of I was disappointed in her role in this film. Mm-hmm. I thought they could have gone a little bit further with it and just given us more I think of that's right. who she is. Yeah. Because all I know about her is that she yeah. has a son and she wants to eat chicken and that's not great. Yeah. That, that's my only... Because the point only... you're making still stands. Like, we talked about this yesterday and I was I was pushing back a little bit and I said that, I said what I just said then. This is like, I can push back, I can point out things, but the fact that I'm having to pick out and point at moments means that it's not great. Yeah. I mean, and maybe maybe the point of it is is that we're not really supposed to know much about anybody and we're not really supposed to feel bad for these quote-unquote lower class Hmm. people on the train i don't know maybe that's a point but i just don't think it was super smart to make it feel so token yeah i think that's right i think it was a wrong tone but that's really my only critique cool there's a fight happening outside anyway (laughs) i don't think that's home so yeah i think on that note Yeah, sorry. Uh, I know this no, isn't again. This apologize. isn't an analysis thing, but again, it just but it bleeds me. in. And don't apologize for calling shit out. So yeah, I think that's going to do it for <laughs> us today. We are going to be posting up some more stuff on our social medias. So definitely go follow us there. That's going to be Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram and Horror Babes Pod on Twitter. Right now, we have um, a full list of horror films to go through and there pro- there's some that we've already covered and there's some that we definitely will cover because mm-hmm. they're some of our favorites um so if you want to be ahead of the curve and flatten the curve at the same time hey there it is um <laughs> that's why they pay me the no bucks oh yeah go on over there and check that out we've also done the research for you and put up there exactly where you can find these films mm-hmm. so you don't even have to like search for it um, got, you got you covered as usual so yeah so yeah with that all of that being said we hope that you guys are staying inside and staying safe and staying scared watching all of these movies <laughs> stay, stay inside stay, stay home, safe stay scared. and stay scared okay <laughs> all right we hope you all are doing well until next time bye, bye babes babe.